The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Lara Unterstall. And I'm Mike Snoonian. And we are joined today by a very special guest. She is a writer and a fellow co-host of the Losers Club podcast, Rachel Reeves. Welcome to the pod. Hi, you guys. Thank you so much for having me on here. You guys are all friends at this point, and I'm just so thrilled <laughs> to be here and talking to you about one of my all-time five-star favorite movies. Oh, I am so excited about the movie you picked, which we will tell you in just, well, we're going to tell you right now. So this is a comfort horror episode, and we define comfort horror as the scary movies that bring us joy. And I am just so excited to talk about our movie for today. Rachel, what joyful movie are we talking about today? Ooh, I brought with me a, a big one. I brought out the big guns, maybe, is what they'll <laughs> you say. You really did. But yes. So today, <laughs> we're going to be talking about... 1987's Predator. Yes, I'm flexing in celebration. I know. Sorry, that was my my mournful trumpet, which we'll get to. But before we do, we're going to give a brief synopsis in case you haven't seen Predator or it's been a while. So here's your spoiler alert. But there's something else. A spaceship flies through the space sky. Now a helicopter lands on an army beach. How are the two connected? Well, you're about to find out. Apollo Creed, a.k.a. Carl Weathers, a.k.a. Dylan, a high-ranking army official, drinks in his office as a bunch of badass 80s muscle men disembark from the helicopter. Their leader is Dutch, which almost rhymes with Butch, which is why he's played by Arnie, the most enmuscled of them all. These guys aren't regular army. They're a paramilitary team, only called in for the specialist of special ops. They've been summoned to retrieve a lost cabinet minister from the clutches of Central American guerrilla fighters. Turns out Dutch and Dylan know each other, which leads to the best and arguably most famous handshake of all time. You son of a bitch! <laughs> Sorry, I can't get through saying that without... You son of a bitch! You son of a bitch! Okay, I'll stop. Dylan will be joining them for the operation, whether Arnie's gang likes it or not. The boys chop around into the jungle, rocking out to Long Tall Sally and generally being rude, crude, and full of bad attitude. Also, uh, dropping some homophobic slurs. <clears throat> it, was, it was the 80s. They almost immediately find the remains of the cabinet chopper they were looking for. It's stuck up in the trees, and the pilots were shot in the head. Next, they make an even more horrific discovery. Three corpses, skinned and hung from a tree. Their dog tags identify them as green berets that Dutch used to know. Something ain't right about all of this. And not just because of the whole no-skin thing. After some more jungle action, the crew stumbles on the camp of guerrilla fighters. Time for Team Arnie to move in for the kill. 
Dutch rolls an old-timey jeep into the middle of the camp, kicking off one of the longest gunfights in cinematic history. And because it's the 1980s, everything explodes. <laughs> There's one guerrilla fighter left alive. And she's a woman? Dutch feels bad for punching her. Side note, I'm pretty sure if 1987 Arnie punched me in the face, my entire body would liquefy. Turns out Dylan was a wee bit duplicitous with the story he used to get them there. The Green Berets were sent out weeks earlier for the same mission, and uh, they did not succeed. So basically, Dylan got them out there under false pretenses, knowing it was more dangerous than he let on. But they gotta move out. Dylan takes the lady hostage, even though Dutch ain't into it. Something is watching them from the trees, something with infrared vision, big monster hands, and voice-mimicking abilities. Billy, the team tracker, is spooked, but he doesn't know why just that there's something in the trees. The hostage tries to escape. Shane Black catches her, but it turns out the audience wasn't the only one who didn't enjoy his big pussy jokes. An invisible monster shimmers into existence, kills him, and drags him off into the jungle. Nearby, Blaine, a.k.a. Jesse the Body Ventura, jumps at a noise. But it's just a sweet little hedgehog. Except, oops, it's also a creature that shoots him clean through the torso with a gigantic missile. Mac, another one of the crew, spots the half-invisible creature, the titular Predator, and starts shooting. The other dudes join him, and in another extremely long but awesome sequence, they unload every gun they have into the bushes. Sadly, it seems like they didn't hit a damn thing. What the heck? What about the hedgehog? Has anyone checked on the hedgehog? Mac sets up a tripwire perimeter while quietly mourning his friend Blaine. He takes the time to visit his body and say a few words as we absorb the loss. It turns out the guns did graze the predator, who drops his invisibility cloak in a tree just long enough to stitch up his own gooey green leg wound. Everyone realizes they're, uh, fucked, but they're too far in the jungle to hitch a ride on an extraction chopper. Billy's scared. There's something out there waiting for them, and it ain't no man. We're all gonna die, he states bluntly. Billy is like a hall mode. <laughs> Later that night, Blaine's body disappears. Predator somehow got around the tripwires and took Blaine's body, adding insult to injury. Dutch puts two and two together. The Predator is using the trees. The lady hostage reveals that her name is Anna, and she can actually speak English. She tells Dutch they wounded the creature because she saw some of its blood on the leaves. As Dutch says, if it bleeds, we can kill it. Cue a muscle jungle trap montage. My god, the muscles, straining, sweating, bulging. Anna pitches in too, but I'm going to need her to get like 25% more yolked. Anna knows what's up. She says this happens during the hottest years. A creature emerges from the jungle, a demon who makes trophies of man. The team waits tensely in the heat to see what their traps catch. Mac shaves his face with only sweat for lubricant, as one does. Blammo! The net catches something big. Chaos breaks out, and so does the Predator, who goes invisible, but not before everyone sorta catches a glimpse of him. Mac goes into berserker mode and runs off into the jungle after the Predator, determined to kill the sumbitch who killed his friend. Dylan, perhaps feeling a little guilty about all of this, uh, runs into the jungle to back up Mac. Not before flexing, of course. Mac pulls Dylan under some underbrush. They see the predator shimmering and glitching in a tree. They creep toward the predator, splitting up to flank him. But it sees Mac and explodes his head. Oh no, RSVP Mac, you were my favorite. 
Coming from the opposite direction, Dylan sees Mac's body via a truly horrifying slow zoom. Ruh-ro. Then he sees the predator in the trees and is about to shoot it, but it tears his arm off while his gun is still firing. It picks him up and, yikes, RSVP Dylan. Everyone else is fleeing to the helicopter extraction spot, but not Billy. He sheds his weapons and clothes and cuts his muscly pecs with his big-ass bowie knife. He's not going down without a fight. Pancho and Billy get got. Now it's just Dutch and Anna. She tries to fight, but Dutch kicks the gun out of her hand and shoots at the predator while screaming, Get to the chopper! Now! <laughs> I, can't. I can't. I can't. I'm sorry. Ow! <clears throat> it's good to get that out of your system. Cue an epic, long-ass chase sequence as Dutch gets the predator to follow him. He falls off a huge cliff into a river, then crawls out of the river and into a bank of mud. The predator is still following, but as Arnie crawls under a tree to hide, he realizes the mud is camouflaging him. We get a better look at the predator, who has a bunch of alien armor and body heat detectors and who's-its and what's-its. He also has dreads. After the predator wanders off, Arnie builds more traps and we are treated to yet more muscle action. It's almost like the muscles are a character in this film. Poor Billy. The predator got him and rips his spine out. He waves the spine around with Billy's head still attached from a treetop in a chillingly iconic shot. Arnie muds up and prepares for battle. He lights a torch and gives a manly battle cry, alerting the predator to his location. (laughs) Dutch and the predator are now both invisible to each other and creep side by side through the trees. They both shoot a bunch of exploding shit at each other and it's very cool. Not even going to try and do justice to the action here, just watch the movie. After some more bait-and-switch action, Dutch jumps into the river to dodge an explosion, washing off the mud in the process. The Predator gets him, picking him up by his throat like a plaything. Predator is really big. But Arnie has no weapons. The Predator has an honor code, and he is determined that Dutch is his equal. He takes off his armor, showing Dutch that he has abs too. Then he takes off his mask, revealing a sort of snapping turtle pig monster face. Dutch calls him ugly, rude, more fighting ensues. After a grand struggle, Dutch traps the predator, crushing him under a counterweight. Picking up a big rock, Dutch is about to smash the predator's head, but hesitates. What are you? he asks. What are you, motherfucker? the predator asks in Dutch's voice. Then he starts giggling and initiates a self-destruct bracelet. Tee-hee-hee-hee-hee. Time to GTFO, Dutch. He runs from what turns into a truly humongous explosion. The extraction choppa sees the explosion and flies on over. The smoke parts to reveal Dutch, standing shirtless amongst the wreckage as a manly trumpet plays. He finally gets on the choppa. Anna looks at him like, damn. The entire cast turns to the camera and laughs in what I am going to say is, objectively, the best end credit sequence of all time. And that's Predator! 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 (laughs) I was about to start singing the Terminator song. That's not the same. Um... Anyways, uh, so now let's do a feelings check. And this is when we share our first experience with Predator and how it makes us feel when we watch it. And Rachel, would you care to kick us off? Oh, I would love to. It's funny when I was thinking about like, okay, first time I saw Predator and I can't actually pinpoint it because it's one of those movies that was just in constant rotation in my household. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of my movie love and a lot of my just general loves in life you know music movies cars all sorts of things can all be traced back to my dad and anybody who knows me knows this is true (laughs) so apologies if you've heard this story before (laughs) but predator is where that came from and but 
the thing about it is like over the years, I've loved how it's grown and my love for it has grown and how my appreciation for it has grown kind of as my, you know, the library of movies that I have to pull from and experiences I have to pull from has kind of, I don't know, reconfigured how I view this film. And I just think that's so cool. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it means so much to me personally, because it's just, I have that connection to my dad and I can read a lot into it. And there's a lot of, uh, I mean, it's hard not to develop some early sexual feelings while watching this film for everyone involved. (laughs) So it's, yeah, it's very, it's a very strange, there's a lot of emotions tied up in this film, but I think Mm -hmm. more than anything, I just, I just love how it continues to deliver time and time again. Still, I never get tired of it. It's always a good time. And yeah, it's just it's just the best. Mm-hmm. It it really is. It's really good. Mike, what about you? I fucking love this movie. Um, <laughs> it is. You know, when we said let's do comfort horror movies, this to me is like the definition of a comfort watch. I know we've had this conversation off air a bunch. Like sometimes someone will present like a comfort horror movie and I'm like, really that, that sounds depressing as fuck. (laughs) And then you'll, you know, gently scold me and say like, well, you know, (laughs) comfort can mean, and I'm just like, this to me is like the fucking man, witch of comfort horror movies. Just absolutely. (laughs) It is like going to the, what we used to call it in college, like a yuck truck. Like you would go like two in the morning and get like the triple fried egg and bacon and ham on a French roll sandwich. And that was like <laughs> the ultimate comfort food. Like that is what Predator is. I have no idea when it was like the first time that I watched this. Um, as my cat blocks my microphone. Hold on <laughs> a second. But it was like the staple of like, childhood just because of like vhs viewings and cable viewings so you just watch this like dozens of times it wasn't brought to my attention because of arnold but actually because of like jesse the body ventura because at this time like i was a huge hulkamaniac i watched the wwf like every saturday morning and like ventura was the announcer and i remember like it was a really big deal that this guy was in the movie like it i remember specifically like i think it was wrestlemania they announced like and also here jesse ventura and he got out from behind like the announcing booth and everyone gave him a standing o because of this movie like it was huge he was in what's really neat about this is number one it's where arnold becomes arnold this is like when you think of like mcbain in the simpsons like this Mm -hmm. is the arnold you think of at this point more than Commando, more than Terminator. This was the movie that cemented him as like the biggest action star in the world. You can be excused for going in blind and not knowing it's a monster movie, which is what I really love about it. Finally, like McTiernan, John McTiernan, the director, is really the godfather of the modern action movie. When you look at this run he had from like 87 to 1990, he gives you Predator, he gives you Die Hard, and then takes a year off and then comes back with a hunt for red October. Like these are three of the ultimate dad movies. Like if there was, you know how you have these like Blu-ray box sets, like Mm. if you wanted like a Blu-ray box set for your dad, it would be like those three movies. I don't care who your dad is, you know, just all the great moments, the one liners, like the arm wrestling match that sparks like a thousand memes get to the chopper. Like, I literally paused that on the airplane watching this on the way home and like woke my wife up and pointed to the line on the closed <laughs> captioning and she like couldn't even get mad about it. Um, and then just 
Ventura is like my fa- maybe my favorite. Like, hey, you're bleeding. Like, ain't got time to bleed. Like, oh, how God, fucking badass is that? Ain't got time to bleed. You know? Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And even though like none of the many sequels have ever gotten it right, this is still such a beloved movie monster because mm-hmm. this movie is so fucking good. But anyway, I will. <laughs> seed the floor before i go on <laughs> much longer but god fucking damn it thank you for bringing this movie to oh, the you're show. welcome <laughs> laura what about you yeah this movie is like about being the ultimate badass and that's like pretty cool pretty badass like, <laughs> I, I was watching this last night just going like this movie is like about being like the ultimate badass man mm-hmm. oh, shit. <laughs> like i was just by myself like oh. uh much like uh you rachel i don't really remember the first time i saw it but i i feel like i've seen it a bazillion times it has been a while this was my first full viewing in a while so i have gone back and watched like the handshake scene more times than i should admit to <laughs> on a recording just because it is one of the best scenes of all time um yeah. and it really does sort of say everything about the movie in a way <laughs> you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but i do think i appreciated it much more this time than i have have in the past just from a kind of like you were saying like i think my perspective has probably shifted a lot since the last time i watched it and it still works it just kind of deepens the potential read readings that you can get out of it uh, I really forgot how much time and effort was put into developing these characters and their relationships before, like, the predator cruelly picks them off like little rabbits, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it never feels oppressive. The action is constantly shifting and making you keep your cheeks clenched. Um, I, I'm sorry <laughs> for saying that. The <laughs> I just also assumed this... you were talking about your face cheeks, so, you know. Yeah. I was... You weren't. Really. You can't see. It's just that's a grimace. Uh, okay. Uh <laughs> There is a really, again, I mean, obviously I did remember this, but I didn't feel my memory of this amazing tonal shift from 80s action movie to like, oh, fuck, oh, shit, it's a horror movie now. Um, That's like really sweet and really well handled. It's just Mm -hmm. like, it's such an easy watch for the casual viewer, but it has enough layers that you could and like, we probably will just spend forever picking it apart. Like. I well, some of my thoughts on it we'll get into more during the film discussion, but like there is so much to read into this. And I was like, this is in some ways it's a very gen movie, I think. <laughs> uh, but you know, I just, yeah, it's cool. It's just like cool when something like from your childhood that was just like cool can actually deliver on being really quality cinema, also. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, All totally. Right, I'll stop talking. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because this is like a very gen movie in like two opposite ways because there's like, I I just wrote in my notes, I heart Arnie. Like, I love him so much. Terminator 2, I've said many times, I think is the greatest movie of all time. And this feels a lot like that. Like, I love this movie for a lot of similar reasons. Um, So it's just like, it is the epitome of like 80s masculinity. But I don't really find it toxic. And that's the other way that it is kind of a gin movie is that it's like, like the reason that I've now come to kind of love the thing, it reminds me of the thing in a lot of ways that like there really is not much of a female presence in this movie. So it can be a study in masculinity. And I find that really interesting. Like it kind of connects to like Lord of the Flies in that way. Like you're in this situation where these 
people that are used to being at the top of the food chain are reduced to like the lower echelons. And I think that's really interesting. So there's like, I just remember watching this when I was a kid. I don't remember the first time I watched it. And I don't know if I saw it all the way through until I was an adult, but I just remember it being on a lot and seeing it kind of adjacent, you know, to what I was doing, like walking through the room and it was on. And I remember being at my cousin's house and us playing some Nintendo game and I was Predator and he was Commando. (laughs) And we were, because we were just obsessed with Arnie. Because he's just so cool. I love him in this movie. I've got a lot to say about Muddy Arnie. But he just, like, it's this really interesting, ultra-masculine, like, persona that doesn't, like, I don't know. I don't really feel like it exists now. I think the closest I could think of would be, like, The Rock. But it's just, it's such a timestamp. But And I know, you know, Arnie is not a perfect person. And he has, what? you know... <laughs> he's got some skeletons, a couple of skeletons. <laughs> right um but I just I I don't know I just love him he connects to my childhood in very specific ways too you know no one is I, I think that like you could hide flaws easier mm-hmm. pre-internet and I would say like pre-really camera phones yeah but it's important to remember like none of us are perfect and none of mm-hmm. us have, all of us have flaws and what I see this happen a lot where <laughs> not necessarily cancel culture because that cancel culture is a bullshit thing that doesn't really exist, but we hold people to some sort of like moral purity test or we armchair quarterback and I'm guilty of it. We're like, well, if I was in this situation, these are the things that I would do perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of like maybe not, maybe it's not the, quite that simple. My opinion is that if you make above a certain amount of money, you shouldn't be allowed to talk. <laughs> and you shouldn't I be mean, allowed to go online that's my opinion and i'm sticking that's probably to it. not a bad idea it's probably, it's probably not a trade-off like you get to be a bu- you either get to be like a beloved and extremely wealthy celebrity or you uh get to be among us mortals so mm-hmm. uh but you get please, to be a, please to log be off mute. celebs what was that but you have to be mute <laughs> yeah no talking except no for opinions. when you're filming like you know you can't you can't communicate with anyone in a public fashion Mm-hmm. You can be like talk at home with your family. No. You have to issue public statements for everything. No. Um, yeah, and I feel like like my lesson the hard way with that was John Lennon, um, who I just like hero worshipped for a long time, mm-hmm. and then learned a lot of things about his life. And it just that that becomes a whole other conversation about the art, separating the art from the artist, which mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think we need to have. All that to say, like there's a when I talk about somebody like Arnold Schwarzenegger that I have all of these really strong emotional connections to, but also know that he has done some things that I would have a problem with if I knew him personally. Like mm-hmm. I can hold both of those things at the same time that's okay I can still remember what he means to me um and also think that he he doesn't have to be a perfect person for me to enjoy this movie too so but there's always that little flag that goes up in the back of my head that's like ping ping but you you might not like this so you know forgive but never forget (laughs) (laughs) but I mean you know we also think we need to like Talking about that is what moves us past mm-hmm. thinking everything is just cancel culture or nothing, yeah. you know? Yeah, I I love Arnold, and I'm, I've got thoughts about him, but I this was the first time I really, I think, honestly, saw him 
sexually, you know, and was like, oh, I'm really attracted to him. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's because I grew up watching him. Like, I remember watching this movie, but I was a little too young to really attach to an actual person in it. I just loved the feel of it. But I saw him in Terminator 2 and Kindergarten Cop. And so he always kind of had this like fatherly persona in a lot of ways. So I just kind of grew up looking at him as like this epitome of masculinity. And I connected to him in a way that I didn't ever really with Sylvester Stallone or Jean-Claude Van Damme or like similar stars, you know? And so now I was watching this. I was like, maybe young Jin just thought he was cute. And that's part of why I liked all these movies. And also he's just awesome. But yeah. Anyways. I mean, any way that you get into the hole. (laughs) He, he, Arnold possessed a, a, the kind of charisma that like a Stallone or a Von Damme, as great as they are, didn't didn't possess. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I, oh, I don't know. Rocky. I mean, you watch Rocky and <laughs> I, that's not just... saying that Stallone's not charismatic, but I think it's on a whole different level. Yeah. Which is funny is. because I was watching this yesterday and I was like, is this how Mike feels when he watches Rocky? Because I just like <laughs> was much. drinking in every second. I was like, this is amazing. I love it so much. I'm so happy right now. It's like. Pretty this must much. be why he talks about Rocky all the yeah. time. But I think I think it's I think you touched in like you tapped into something that I feel myself. And I think in this movie you see you see both sides of Arnie. Like you see the kindergarten cop, you mm-hmm. know, kind of fatherly, funny guy, but you also see the really capable, very masculine, very you know, he's a great leader. Like you see all mm-hmm. of those qualities as well, but it's not quite, you know, on the the far end of the scale, like a Terminator where it's like literally just the physical prowess and the, and the right. strength. Like you get a little bit more emotional depth, but it's not, it's also not, wait, what is that movie? Jingle all the way. You know, oh, it's not like, it's not that far, you know, <laughs> no, it's, yeah. it's just a good blend yeah. of all those really mm-hmm. great Arnie traits in mm-hmm. one very sweaty, very shirtless Ooh. film. Uh, Jingle All the Way has its charms. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not arguing with you. I just, it's like, that's a very different, like, yeah. <laughs> kind of Arnie. No. I actually haven't seen that. Ujin, enjoy that. Maybe I'll save that for my next year's Christmas meal. I was going to say, you can't legally watch Christmas movies after January 1st. (laughs) All right. Well, so now let's dive into our main movie discussion or get to the topics. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Snuck it in there. I know. I even wrote it in the outline, too. Um, Anyways. I was very proud of that one. I was cracking myself up writing all of these things last night, too. And Corey kept looking over at me and was like, what are you doing? I was like, you'll hear it in a week. Um, anyways. <laughs> so, all right. So let's we were just talking about Arnie. So maybe let's continue talking about Arnie. I don't know. Maybe we should start with the topic of masculinity because we've all kind of mentioned that. And that is this is just so over the top masculinity. But I don't like I said, I don't find it toxic. And like, I think. With a lesser movie, I would be mad about the female hostage just kind of thrown in there. Mm. But she's never sexualized. She's never like, I never feel like she is in danger of being Mm. like attacked, you know? And I think that's to this movie's credit. Like she is, I think she kind of exists as the local connection here, which I think the plot needs, you know? Yeah. I think more than like she's used to convey the 
you know, the, the story behind, like she knows what this creature is. So we get some exposition from her mm-hmm. and that it's that needed thing. They don't go into a lot of backstory with the predator, which I actually really like, but they, mm-hmm. you know, she's the one who delivers just enough of it. But mm-hmm. yeah, the way, even the way that she's dressed is, it makes sense. It fits, yes. right? you know, she's mm-hmm. got the hat, her, it's not like some typical sexy wardrobe where it's like, oh yeah, that's not practical at all like it actually right. makes sense. like she fits into the environment it makes sense that she's there it also makes sense why you know maybe they wouldn't kill her right off the bat and it kind of fits into some of the character traits that we see of arnie throughout the whole film mm-hmm. and but yeah i love that she's yeah she's never sexualized i actually find that the men are actually sexualized mm-hmm. much more than she is which is so rare i think it's during this time period Totally. Much, much more. Uh, also, I, there there was a moment where they all sort of start working together, which I found mm-hmm. a little weirdly heartwarming. Like mm-hmm. at some point they realize like what the stakes have changed and the dynamic has changed. And like Arnie especially is like, well, let her let her help us out. And she just mm-hmm. like goes to work and there's not really right. any conversation about it. She's just like she becomes one of the gang essentially helping them do their, you know, Custer's last stand. Mustards. Yeah. Custard's <laughs> mustards, mustards, mustards. They get the hot dog place here in Chicago, but yeah, you know when they do yeah. that final standoff in the in the jungle, yeah. And she's pretty capable too. Like mm-hmm. she's not like creating traps like Arnie is, but nobody is quite as capable as Arnie. But like she never becomes a damsel in distress either. Right. You mm-hmm. know, like I was gonna like Laura. You said she becomes one of the gang and it doesn't feel like she's even becoming one of the guys you know it just feels like these are all a group of people in the jungle and they're working together when they need to and Arnie's like treats her like he would a male hostage I think before they need her too you know so Mm -hmm. it's just it's fascinating you know I I would like to talk about the sort of sexualization or to me it almost feels like a fetishization of the male form in this movie just the amount of camera time Uh given over to purely muscle shots and like shots of you know there's points when they're all pulling on things together and shirtless or even before carl weathers goes off for his final fight into Mm -hmm. the jungle he's like they make a real point to kind of like flex his abs Mm -hmm. and like and then Mm -hmm. when arnie is like pulling the big tree trunk up i mean oh my god it it was really reminding me of the art of like tom of finland and like other like sort of homoerotic yeah. like leather daddy culture stuff um just because it feels it you know when you're a kid you watch this and you're like whatever big tough guys but watching as it as an adult it's like there is there is something going on here and i know mm-hmm. i saw that you sort of references to this in your notes rachel so i'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this mm-hmm. it's just it's so funny to me number one i always like wonder like how much money they spent on like baby oil and if they had somebody there like actually (laughs) like spritzing them down constantly like i know they were on location you know like actually in kind of you know a remote location so i know it was hot but it's like that can't Mm. all be sweat like i'm sure there was somebody just constantly like making sure everything was dripping just right but it's i think i have an answer for that let me find it (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure you do is it in the credits as oil oil man in the crew (laughs) there's an oral history of predator called guns and shea butter in oral history of butter so it's like definitely they were lathering up and they were funny there are tales of them like arnold waking up all of the crew at 5 30 in the morning and putting them like through very strenuous workouts. Really? 
he imported his home gym basically to the shoot. Well, and like I know that there's stories of you know them all like getting up earlier than the other to be like the first yeah. one in the gym, and then there's like the story of Arnie like comparing you know, bicep size with Jesse mm-hmm. Ventura and altering the size on his wardrobe so that he thinks his muscles are bigger, but actually mm-hmm. Arnie's were bigger. And there's all that, you know, so there's all this like behind the scenes stuff. But yeah. what's funny about that is I think it actually does fit into kind of the masculine tropes and things that we see in the film itself, because everybody's in on the joke. Mm-hmm. You know, like they all know what they're doing. Like, yeah, there's there is a real element, to, you know, one upping each other and who has the biggest muscles. But at the same time, like they have you know, it's a tongue in cheek thing. And mm-hmm. I feel like even the way that it's shot, that's always in their mind because mm-hmm. it's like, <laughs> you know, you hear of the male gaze. And I think in this film that you have the male gaze mm-hmm. and you have the male gaze as far as like what men want to see represent like I, I, okay let, totally. me, let me think of how to phrase this but like you see these muscles you see their biceps and their abs but you don't see it on like you don't see lots of shots of like their butts mm-hmm. you know right. like i'm sure all of these men have fabulous legs but like you never mm-hmm. see them because that's not necessarily what other men would check out and be like oh yeah that guy's ripped like that guy is like a real macho guy mm-hmm. but yeah. you see lots of yeah their their shoulders and their arms and their abs so it's kind like the of glamour like, muscles yeah it's just a really funny like interpretation of the male gaze the male gaze for the males yeah, yeah <laughs> like aspirational more than like sexual yeah, yeah yes mm-hmm. mg for mg yeah. <laughs> yeah this would yeah. have been looking yeah you would have seen this and you would have aspired to this kind of look like if you were mm-hmm. a you know a male that was in the target audience for this like this would have been one of those get me to the gym type of movies like and you see it with like look at the muscle that Stallone packed on for Rocky Four and um the later Rambo movies like he oh, had gosh. like 1% body fat or something it's... It's insane, insane like that right it was very much in the and like i remember when predators came out the kind of the joke was like adrian brody being the lead of that like adrian brody like he was a fine actor oh those but arms he's not not what you would think about like when it comes to like when an you action go from, star yeah. yeah 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 like when you yeah. go from like arnold to adrian brody like that is that's a come down but let me tell you, he is so fucking hot in that movie, and I love that movie sure. in his arms. But yes, I hear you. He is kind of he's a beanpole, you know. Yeah. He's yeah, like he doesn't that, have he, that type of physique, you know. Yes. That very specific, yes. hyper masculine, like almost almost like a parody of the male form on some <laughs> level. Like there are some shots where Arnie is so huge in this movie. It's like those chickens you hear about getting like hormone objections, and then they just topple <laughs> yeah. over, you know. <laughs> I do think it's funny too like when you think about like where this movie is placed and like where it came out and kind of like what it was playing off and off of and like what Mm -hmm. was it was a reaction to Mm -hmm. you think about this time period and like the women's movement and like a lot of things going on with like women's rights and and politics and Reagan and kind of this re-evaluation I guess is a kind word for it of like what it means to be a man in 1985 Mm -hmm. you know that era and stuff and just like you see this resurgence of all these action films and like these very stereotypical inflated tropes of like what manliness is and I just Mm -hmm. love how they take that play off of it embrace it 
and then also like hold a mirror up to it and be like oh is this what you want like is this like there's such like it's just such a subtle incredible way of doing it that could have gone really wrong Mm yeah and it's just one of the best things about this film is just how yeah just how smart it is I guess and yeah yeah and it's really hard to put your finger on why it works and why it doesn't feel like offensive or weird you know it Mm -hmm. I still don't quite know how to articulate it Mm -hmm. I think especially this most recent viewing I watched it last night so it's still like I feel like there's something there you know with the male body and on on one thread I can tie it into my next point you know but I'll hold on that um on the other hand the other side of it is like this weird sort of tension of male aspiration versus male sexuality versus mm-hmm. I don't know I, I want to do a queer reading of it yeah. <laughs> I can't hold myself um but it's it, I, I find it very interesting I think it's interesting that a year later McTiernan does Die Hard because what yes. you have in Die Hard is like the polar opposite like the appeal of that movie is Bruce Willis is kind of an everyman in that mm-hmm. movie as much as Bruce, someone like Bruce Willis could be an everyman. Like the, uh, and he, they didn't want to hire him because he didn't have name appeal outside of appearing in that in Moonlighting at the time. And you're going the complete opposite of the typical action trope. So you have like mm-hmm. these mirror images directed by the same person. And it's a different view, kind of like a different view of like masculinity or masculinity or male competency, like kind of a more of a never give up, overcome all odds type of, of movie. Well, it's a continuation of that same thread, right? Like it's it's him taking this ideas that he establishes in Predator and just taking it the next mm-hmm. step. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like it's just a continuation and a reaction to this hyper, you know, hyper masculine macho giant <laughs> muscle. With with Predator, we're we're a little bit over a decade out of America losing its first war. Like mm-hmm. this is roughly roughly 15 years after vietnam after like finally pulling out and i think what you see during the mid to late 80s like there are a lot of movies that are kind of relitigating vietnam like you see red dawn that comes out early in the decade where like a group of high schoolers are able to fend off like an invading i think it's like either north korea or china or the soviets you're right i think you're right like they're able to hold off like an invading force just as like their own guerrilla warfare you Mm -hmm. see first blood which is like a very smart action movie about ptsd and how we treated our soldiers coming back from that conflict that spins into like first blood part two rambo which is sylvester stallone single-handedly wins the war in vietnam Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah there's like something shifted in the wrong direction at some point, like to mm. to instead of genuinely reevaluating to like mythologizing, which I like. What I like about this movie is that it leaves room for those genuine human emotions, and like there's definitely PTSD on display with some of yeah. these characters, and they never linger on anything. Everything in this movie is constantly moving, but mm-hmm. they take these little moments to pause, and and I think it really comes through with the character of Mac. I almost like didn't remember that character from previous viewings, but this time he hit me the hardest. Mm-hmm. And I think to your point, Mike, about this being 15 years after Vietnam, it's like these characters were all definitely <laughs> like, you know, in and, that and conflict. Totally. And I actually kind of fell in love with Mac this, as a character this time around. Um, 
he has such a range of emotion and really after Blaine dies, that speech he gives sort of to the night, um, mm-hmm. very sweatily uh, about <laughs> kind of like they were there, they were, they were through, they went through it all together. And now he's lost what is essentially like his best friend and mm-hmm. like probably a source of a lot of um, camaraderie and understanding and in a world where they you know, this very isolated band of dudes, you know, and just the way he processes that, like a lot of other action movies of this ilk and of this era would never give that that as much screen time as they did for this. Totally. And um, it's handled so well and it, it's really earnestly moving. And I just really love the performance that that actor gives. Yeah. Totally. And I love like that's like that's what I find to be like a nuanced study of masculinity because nobody ever shames him for those emotions that he has and like even kind of talking about the body types like he doesn't have one of those ripped up bodies like he's not like glorifying his muscles and the other guy who I think of as Joseph Gordon-Levitt's dad because he reminded <laughs> me of him. Um, and but like we have every man kind of bodies in this movie too and we have people who are like like billy is clearly like very afraid of this thing like he feels weak in the face of this thing he can't like figure out but that's never shamed like arnie as the leader is never like well quit like being a pansy or a girly man you know or like start pulling your weight like they, they all just kind of accept everyone as human beings which is what i think is so beautiful about this depiction of masculinity it's like there are so many different ways to be a masculine person you know and I think we see a range of that in this movie yeah Yeah. it's that subversion that I think is ultimately what really makes this movie so special is that Mm -hmm. yeah these, these men are allowed to have emotions just like you said like Billy you know just straight up says like I'm scared like, mm-hmm. you know, they've, they've, it's, there's no question that these men are capable. It's no question that these men have been through some shit. And it's like, they're this elite special force team. And yet Billy's saying that he's scared. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, like, he's allowed to have that feeling and not just, you know, be able to, he feels comfortable saying that. And it's mm-hmm. th- those emotions that really, it adds just such a level of depth to all of these characters that, yeah, you don't always see and I think that even even with Arnie his the way that he leads I think is really interesting like Mm -hmm. in a lot of these movies just like you said like he would be more of that tough guy I think a lot of this movie always makes me think of apocalypse now in a lot of ways and you even get like that little nod to it as they're like flying in and they're Mm -hmm. you you know all these little quirks of all these men are established you know right there Mm -hmm. in the in the chopper and they're talking about being you know sexual tyrannosauruses and all that (laughs) but and then the the boom box and everything but you know he leads with empathy and everybody respects him and he never yells at his men and he allows them to kind of process things as they do and the way that he treats um oh what the 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 female in the film you know i can't remember her character's name yeah Anna. anna the way that he treats her and everything it's just it's also an interesting portrayal of just male leadership in this friend mm-hmm. group that you don't, especially in like a war-ish film, like you don't see that very often like that. Dutch has definitely read The 60 Second Manager. <laughs> he is <laughs> someone that is like, he's an excellent delegator. Yeah. He knows the ins and outs of his crew and you see how he leans on different members of the unit mm-hmm. based on what their strengths are, like Billy in particular. Yeah. And you see where, like, 
he's not afraid to say like, I don't know what I'm doing in this situation. Let me turn to the expert and then we're going to follow their lead. Uh, Mm -hmm. You see that with Billy's tracking in particular. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also when Billy like gets the sense that again, there is something out there. He listens to him. He doesn't dismiss it. He doesn't poo poo it. And he's quick to pick up like, wait a minute. Like there's been others before us that are, he's able to like piece things together based on experience, based on what he's seen. So he knows like before anyone else does, like they've been sent on like a fool's errand. Mm -hmm. I think the best, like my favorite, like, I don't know, exhibition of this idea is when, you know, they're just that iconic scene where they're all shooting a million guns into the forest. Oh my God. Like, you know, at nothing, but they're just shooting guns because they can. And that's like what they're doing. And like that to me is just like the epitome of this idea because they just, they all come to, um, I think it's Matt who actually starts shooting the gun and they just all shoot. You know, they, yeah. they don't, they're not asking him like, what's going on? Like they just right. like all chip in and just like mm-hmm. they have his back and yeah. they're all there and just start shooting. And it's all, but on the other, like behind the scenes, it's funny. Cause it's kind of like McTiernan saying like, Oh, this is what you want. Right. Mm-hmm. Like totally. you just want like big strong men firing wow. guns, but they're not yeah. even shooting at anything like predators right. up in the tree. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. And that's what I love too. It's like, this is, this is masculinity. This is what we think of as like just pure destruction and yeah. see how pointless this is, you know, like yeah. you're, you're just shooting into a jungle. And it reminds me of like the, I think it's clearly lampooned and hot shots part duh, where like, it's like listing the body count in a little ticker mm. on the side. Yeah. And then it's, he's got to like beat a certain movie or something. But yeah, it's that is one of my favorite scenes in the movie because I think it's just hilarious. Um, And it reminds me of um, the scene. I've recently been watching a lot of the Scream movies and it reminds me of that scene when Stu and Billy just kind of are stabbing each other at the very end, you know, just like it's buffoon. It's like this this bullshit masculinity that I think is so funny the more I watch it and the more layers I kind of look at it through, you know. But there's a flip side to that because the other thing about this yes it's like an empty and futile gesture to like shoot your mini- and let's face it it looks pretty fucking cool to shoot those mini guns it's <laughs> um, like smoking pretty... i wish certain- smoking looks cool like awesome. i'm sorry it does like you yeah. know like i fucking every time i see somebody smoking i'm like man you're cool as hell but it's, it's, yeah. it's gross but, but i'm in i'm but the other side of it is like they show dutch's crew to be extremely competent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to the movie to establish it. Like it's McTiernan. You like, doesn't just tell you like, Oh, they're an elite rescue team. He shows how they're able to do it. And they're able to take out like this really well fortified, well armed and well supplied group of guerrilla uh, army with very little issue. You, they don't even suffer a scratch. Like they get in, they're in and out and they're, firing their guns willing not willy-nilly there like everything has a purpose and the other thing that that scene that other scenes do it shows the difference between dutch and dylan like dylan at one point was every bit the soldier that dutch and his crew were but he's been removed from that situation and now he sits behind a desk and is pushing papers and he's the one making decisions that are going to cost the lives of other people and you see when he has to join them there are like two or three instances where his not incompetence but his rustiness almost cost like gives up their position 
or yeah. almost loses them the hostage. And it's a really subtle thing. Like you look at Carl Weathers in this movie and he's an Adonis. I mean, he's just this like carved hunk of ground beef. You know, he's just like <laughs> astonishing to look at. Yes, and when we do our Mary like... fuck kill later on, I'll have some thoughts on <laughs> Carl Weathers. But he's not to the level of Dutch. And I think McTiernan has the chops to show with this really distinct visual language, the difference between Dutch and Mac and Blaine up here and like Dylan being below that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. To me, Dylan always has represented, like if any character is going to represent toxic masculinity, like it is Dylan. Mm -hmm. Like he's insecure. He has to resort to like betrayal basically to like get his friends to help him. Whereas if like he had established, you know, a leadership and a friendship role like Dutch did, they probably would just would have helped him, mm -hmm. but he right. had to lie to them. And then mm -hmm. also just the way that he treats Anna, like he's the only one who makes demeaning comments to her. Mm -hmm. He doesn't mm -hmm. want her there. He doesn't trust her for, for no reason. Reason. And there's a few times where like what he says to her is kind of, you know, more sexist than anything that anybody else says. So if any yeah, if any character represents toxic masculinity, it, it is Dylan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can tell he he is aware of his lesser skill set in this situation and is really yeah. doing some blustery moves to offset it. I also mm -hmm. think it's probably why he feels the need to go into the jungle at the end and, and, you know, have Mac's back because Mac has also been the one giving him the most shit, but like mm -hmm. he really, you know, kind of calling him out on his stuff besides Dutch. And, but, but he does ultimately like make the right choice, which I think speaks to like probably why they were all friends, you know, and companions in the first place. I, I did also want to say, I think the pacing of this movie is very smart and very deliberate in showing all of that competency that you're referring to, Mike, like the fact that they take us, they take so much time to show us all of that setup and getting into the gorilla mm -hmm. base and then turn the tables. It's like we have established that these are like the most badass dudes on the planet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they are in no way any match for this creature that's haunting the woods. And so that moment that, you know, because there is like a bunch of firing the guns into the base. And then there's the shot of them firing all the guns into the jungle. And it's like their power has is completely gone. And mm -hmm, then uh -huh. it's reversed again later when Arnie is finally facing off with the predator. And there's a shot where he has become invisible to the predator and the predator starts wildly firing off into the trees. It's really like I could just see the screenplay in my head at those moments where it's like roll one then the reversal then the double reversal. And it's like <laughs> it's, and it's the it makes the pacing of it like you could get I get really numb to action movies sometimes where it's like, oh, okay, another explosion, another sequence, right. whatever. But like they keep you on your toes with these shifts and like everything has a reason to be there, to be on screen mm -hmm. in this movie. Yeah. And um yeah, it's just it's like cool as hell. <laughs> you don't even see a predator until I wrote it down. Fifty three minutes in. Mm -hmm. And that's like the first time that you actually like I think that's where you he actually you see him decloak, I guess, to use the right. Star Trek term. Yeah. But like, <laughs> like, like, that's the first time you even see 53 minutes. Like, yeah. that's wild. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 You could go into this and not know that it's a monster mm. movie. I, yeah. like, I, like, I can't, oh my God, the joy, like, it would be. Like, it's one of those movies that's so, like, ingrained in our culture that, like, I would mm -hmm. just treasure the moment to, like, share this with somebody who's like, Predator, what's that? I have no oh, idea totally. what you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. 
totally. think about that with Terminator 2 all the time, too. Like, going in not knowing, you know, that he's mm-hmm. going to be the good guy. Yeah. But, like, and I want to talk about the creature design of the Predator. But, yeah, like, that last action sequence I wanted to talk about because it's so cool. It looks gorgeous. And you can follow it, you know, for like an action sequence where like these two characters are ostensibly invisible to each other. Like it's shot so well. It's framed so well. It moves through different locations. So you're not seeing the same thing happen over and over and over again. Like sometimes when I'm writing the synopsis, I can kind of just take a break. And I wrote like more battle stuff. And then mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, I'm just going to watch it. But then different things kept happening. And I was like, but this feels significant. I feel like I want to write it down. Like, and it, it's a really interesting final battle scene. And I want to talk about too, like the, um, the fact of the predator versus the team also. But before we do that, let's talk about the predators, um, like the creature design, because it's so unique. It's very cool. And it's very memorable for, like you said, something we don't even see until three fourths of the movie is over, you know? Mm-hmm. And we don't see yeah. his face until the last and, sequence. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. He's one ugly. <laughs> I like that it's like so intense, and there's no dialogue leading up to this, and then the, then it then it's just Arnie drops the line. You're one ugly motherfucker. <laughs> right. Like what? Right. I love the effects work in this, just the the gore and practical effects stuff, and I love the creature design. I did notice on the list of um, the effects team members the name Screaming Mad George, <laughs> the same yep. person who did Society and worked on both Nightmare on Elm Streets three and four, and there were a bunch of other like luminary effects people on this. It's just like I love when I start connecting these threads. Oh, this person <laughs> did that. This uh, person did that. That's fucking cool. This person rules. <laughs> like yeah. you know. But yeah, the creature design is really unique. Um, There's moments where, and I think it's like the perfect amount of screen time for the monster. Like the way it's paced, again, feels it's very uh, thoughtful choices for Mm -hmm. when to reveal him and how much to reveal without it you becoming again numb or not no longer scared by this thing he is actually like really intimidating and Mm -hmm. you know sometimes Mm -hmm. i see the predator like removed from the context of the story i find the design a little silly looking you know like the the hair and the guy in the suit kind of vibe but in the movie itself and the when they they choose to reveal different parts of this character it's very effective and there's a moment where you know he finally catches arnie and picks him up by the throat and that's the 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 scale because we've spent so much time to that point like looking at how huge arnie is and then you just see him utterly dwarfed by this thing like oh Mm -hmm. shit (laughs) like i don't want to come across this guy (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's cool yeah i think you know mctiernan as a director he just this it's so cool that when you can see a movie and you can tell like the, the person you know behind it the director that it really is an execution of their vision and I think you see that a lot in the predator design because from what I understand there was another predator design and it was like done the lizard. yeah mm-hmm. and they got get it there and it's like getting you know down to the wire and he hates it and he's mm-hmm. like I and like a lot of I feel like a lot of other people put in that position would be like all right fine we're just going to make it work, you know, tweak these little things. And like, I guess that's what it is. But McTiernan basically said like, nope, you're fired. Uh, Get, you know, Stan Winston studios in here and like redo this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And they came up with something else, even though the result of that wasn't guaranteed either. And I just think that that's, you know, for something that doesn't have that much screen time, 
the that extra step to really make sure like no we have to do this right right it, it, it pays off like this is an iconic creature now i think if i'm not mistaken if you guys have seen the adrian brody one i think it's really funny that there's a little easter egg in there where they have the original design <laughs> Mm-hmm. I a, think I've heard about this, but I, don't, yeah. I never see. I never saw that one. So I, yeah. I, so if you're curious what the original one looked like, it's actually there's a you know a little nod to it in that film, which I think is really funny. That's cute. <laughs> I think it's interesting having I, I'm looking at the oral history and I've got a story pulled up like with Jean Claude Van Damme, like hired to do this movie in so the time weird. like this was before like. Bloodsport and kickboxer and the movies would make him a star but like on set he kept like kickboxing of course he did like in the suit <laughs> and they pull him in like you know basically the producer joel silver pulls him in he's like you gotta stop kickboxing stop doing splits and von Damme was like yeah and he was like he has to say this is a quote from the article look the predator is not a kickboxer <laughs> and i don't think truer words have ever been spoken and von Dom was like i have to do it it's how i see the predator and they're like well then you're fucking fired. please leave good he should be i mean kevin peter hall the guy who plays predator brings so much to that character like all mm-hmm. of those movements oh, the yeah. way he moves that physical pre- presence i mean because he was a, a very large man in real life like he's very tall yeah he was like seven feet tall yeah. oh, very geez. very tall so but everything about that creature that is that actor like he brought so much of him to life and yeah. just incredible along with the xenomorph it's probably like the xenomorph and the predator are probably the two best movie monsters that we've seen created in the past like 40 yeah. years and i don't think it's any it's no secret why like it, people wanted to see yep. them kind of like fair off against one right. another mm-hmm. just they wanted to see them in much better movies than we actually <laughs> yeah. got. fucking yeah, yeah. got it's hard um, to follow this up it's hard <laughs> that's true yeah um even with adrian brody's arms which i do love i, I like that movie it's not as good as this one but i yeah, it's a good movie it's, yeah, it's, it's a solid it's B just movie. not you know um but what i think is there's just like an element of humanity to the predator once we do start to see him like I like the scene where he just sits down and he decloaks and we see that he's injured and he has that same scream of pain that we've seen characters like Arnie have when they like sew up their own wounds, you know? So it's like he is still really physical and really scary, but he also feels kind of human, even though he is an alien, you know? And I love that um, we see, we don't see him until what 53 minutes in i think but we see the effects and they are fucking brutal like those three people skinned and we all know i have a thing about skinlessness but that (laughs) that's just horrifying to think about you know Mm -hmm. and this so it's like the legend builds and builds and builds and for a creature like the the effects here are like this isn't the thing like the effects here they look if i were to look at it with a cold eye they look a little bit clunky a little 80s but i don't care because i buy it you know i'm so invested in this that it doesn't matter that i know he's not really invisible there it's still kind of cool you know i i'd still rather see like a little bit of the clunkiness with these effects than what you get now where everything is shot on a green screen. Like to me, part of what makes this movie work is like, they're really firing these guns. Like they're really blowing shit up. Like you, there's a tangibleness to this that you don't see now. Like now it would all be done against a green screen. And there's just like, you're missing something. Oh yeah. You also like, I think it's interesting how you kind of get to know the predator through his kills. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the way that he kills somebody is kind of tied to how he respects them as a uh, as a competitor. Yes, like exactly. you see, mm-hmm. you know, like with the the men that you know he skins and hangs from the tree, like that's not very respectful <laughs> way to kill somebody, right? <laughs> right. But then you know, with like Billy, who understands what this creature is and has been paying attention and acknowledges him and like faces him like a you know like a man (laughs) (laughs) like you know you see him value him and keep Mm -hmm. his skull he kills him quickly and then he i mean and one of the most iconic kills ever you know rips his spine out and he keeps Uh his skull because it's like this man is worthy this man is worth my time of keeping this trophy and yeah. just, you know, he kills everybody a little differently. And there's, I mean, I know that there's a lot of fan theories that each one is tied to their flaws, which is an interesting rabbit hole if you ever want to go down there. But <laughs> Dante's Inferno shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just, it, it's interesting how it, it's like, oh, okay. He killed him that way. So you, you kind of like see the traits that he values in these other men, which is a weird way to get to know somebody, but. Mm-hmm. It, it feels very, um. You like something you would see in a serial killer movie or something. So again, it's it's imbuing this sort of monstrous character with in, with intent and humanity, mm-hmm. uh, even if it's a dark humanity. Um, I think also, I just it never fails to crack me up when he finally decides to like reveal himself to Arnie at the end. He's like, "Oh, this guy is the one I've been waiting for." Like uh-huh. the most, the mm-hmm. the ultra badass, and he like takes off his cloak and he's like, "I have muscles too, and look at me, I've got a big weird <laughs> pig man face." And like, I don't know, there's something just so comical about it to me. He's like, "Yeah, finally, I've been waiting for you, bro." Like, uh-huh. <laughs> oh yeah, and that final line that the predator says to him, you know, like Arnie's like, "What the hell are you?" And he's like, mm-hmm. "What the hell are you?" Because like yeah. he's never like faced somebody quite like Arnie who when has when he has the chance to get revenge on this creature that has killed his entire company mm-hmm. doesn't take it like I he know. doesn't kill him mm-hmm. he just you know walks away and the predator kills himself which is also like not a very i don't i mean i don't know there's a lot you could read into that but <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely an interesting little dynamic that is very quickly established and then gone forever <laughs> and then blown up yeah <laughs> yeah yeah well, getting Back to that final confrontation between the two, I think what's interesting there is Arnold is able to use like the natural environment in order to finally beat the Predator. Like he's not using guns. He's not using a rocket launcher. He's not using any of these like man-made, machine-made weapons of war. Mm -hmm. There's something like very primal and stripped down and basic. Like he's using a bow and arrow. He's using fire. He's using like spring loaded traps. Like what ultimately does the predator in? what does the predator in is a fucking tree falls on his head basically mm-hmm. at about a hundred miles an hour. And it just caves in half his skull. Um, it's not the minigun. It's not a grenade. It's none of these things. And like, it's McTiernan and the movie saying like, look, like getting back to that idea of like ultimate masculinity. It's like, very jack london type shit at this point it is Mm -hmm. getting back to who we are as a core as a man and not relying on technology to kind of overcome these obstacles yeah well it's it's brain versus brawn right yeah yeah his strength is an asset but ultimately Mm -hmm. it's his quick wit and his you know survival skills and the way Mm -hmm. that he thinks that actually gets him to defeat the predator not his muscles not his you know strength not his guns it's 
you said. Well, it's that man-made strength that makes him a target, too, you know, which I think is really interesting. It's like he, like, when at one point Anna's about to pick a gun up and he, like, kicks it out of her hand because he's like, you know, if you have a gun, he can attack you. So I think there is a really interesting dynamic in this thing that a, a, a super toxic masculine person would see as a weakness actually becoming a strength here because like you could read the predator himself as the toxic masculinity. Like I have to be the top of this chain. I have to seek out the strongest of the strong and I have to defeat them. And that's what makes me the strongest. And for Arnie to defeat that by rejecting that and by saying, I'm Mm -hmm. not going to try to find a bigger gun or I'm not going to try to have bigger muscles. Like that is, that's another like just kind of, of a study in this masculinity is right. like you don't have to be the most masculine to survive well, and there's room for everyone what's interesting to me is also that the predator like uses all this technology right like he is mm-hmm. himself hiding behind this shell of technology and, mm-hmm. and weird electro guns and zipper zappers and what have you <laughs> um so when when arnie goes full primal uh Predators, like, oh, finally, I can go full primal too. And I just wanted mm. to note that I wrote down, like, I had never noticed this before, but like, it is so very literally primal in that he falls into the water and the water gives him the mud and he, like, and the mud is earth, right? And then there's mm-hmm. fire, which is another like elemental thing, you know, then mm-hmm. he uses fire. I was like, all we need is wind, you know, or air <laughs> yeah. to play some role here. And it's literally like, it's, it's so elemental. Like, he's, he's most... invisible, maybe not. Arnie, right. But, yeah. Know. Yeah. I guess the, yeah, the wind is, is, is there all, all the whole time giving yeah. the fire oxygen and what have you. So, <laughs> you know, I just was like, I was watching this last night in that same mental state of like this is so badass and i was like uh-huh. oh man he's got like all the four elements dude and like, well, <laughs> I, it might be good to point out like if i i feel like mctiernan is someone who if he heard us talking about toxic masculinity would have a good laugh at us and then beat the shit out of me is pretty much i don't think that like i know we can get into autorial intent but I think McTiernan, and I think a lot of the movies of this time, like this happens to be a smarter example, like weren't thinking along those lines. It was more like, and I would say the idea of getting back to being primal would be, if anything, a critique saying like, as men, we are too reliant now on technology to do the work for us. Like Mm -hmm. we need to get back to like getting our hands in the mud and getting dirty because that's what, you know, real men do. Like that is. Yeah. To me, that's, you know, McTiernan could give fuck all about political correctness and toxic masculinity like that. Just that's not his his bag. And I feel like if he heard me talking about toxic masculinity, he would beat me up. So I'm a little bit worried. (laughs) It's okay. He doesn't know where you live. I think this is more just him being a smart ass and like, you know, they wanted him to make an action movie. So he's like, (laughs) I'll make you an action movie and just like sneaks these things in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't think he was like, oh, I'm going to make a comment on toxic masculinity. No, I think he was just being a little. Yeah. He's just being a little bit of a smart ass. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I also do think that like the kind of guy that would make up the movies that he makes is going to like accidentally showcase some of these things that we're talking about he doesn't need to intend like saying like to to do that it's Mm -hmm. just by his nature being so entrenched in these ideas he's going to but also being a smart guy you know is going to accidentally have something to say about it 
Right. Um, even, and I mean, there are some very, like, there's some moments with these characters that made me wince a little bit, like within the first, you know, 15 minutes, like Jesse, the body Ventura drops an F-bomb, you know, like, yeah, yeah. like Your these characters aren't slack perfect. Shot. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, like, you know, they, they are of their moment and there's mm-hmm. no getting away from that. But at the same time, the, the writing allows for nuance right. and for exploration of ideas that I think, um, Sometimes when you're writing something, you don't even realize that you're exploring your own shit, yep. you know? Right. I think it's inextricable. Well, yeah, and I and- think I can't remember what movie we talked about this with, but when you write a movie with real characters that feel like they have depth, then these things come out even if you're not intending them to, and they can be read through multiple different lenses, which I think is what we find here with this this action movie that on the surface looks like a very simple plot, but it's got all of these layers that you can choose to see or you can choose to just watch shit get blown up, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, that's why I think this movie is so successful is that it works mm-hmm. on both levels. Well- and McTiernan yeah. would go on to make The Last Action Hero in 93, which <laughs> is a movie like it was considered a turkey at the time. I think now it's getting a bit of a reevaluation and like it would not spoof or lampoon, but it had like a very tongue in cheek critique of a lot of the action movies of the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, and done in like a pretty smart, funny way. Yeah. One thing I I do want to talk about is like kind of the way that representation is used in this movie. And it kind of ties back into like what I was just saying about McTiernan. I don't think when they were casting this movie, they were saying like, oh, we need to make sure that we have this like really diverse, well-represented cast. Like I watched this movie back to back with the Wrong Turn remake from last year, um, which is probably the only time you'll ever hear these two movies compared, <laughs> which is a surprisingly pretty good movie. Like it's actually was on its own it merits. Like it was good. But when you're when I was watching that movie, what struck me is how how deliberate they were in making sure they ticked every sort of box to make sure they got as much representation as possible in terms of like the look of someone on screen but then did nothing in their characters to give them any sort of personality. It's like, this character is the gay one, and that's his boyfriend. And like, well, what else is there about them? Well, they're the gay couple. Well, what mm-hmm. else is there? I don't know. We'll make one of them, you know, Asian American, and we'll make one Muslim American. Well, what else is there about them? Well, that's it. Isn't that enough? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, it's just no depth to them whatsoever. Where you have a movie like this, and as we're, we've been saying, like each of these characters have like a moment to shine through. You know, you can have like Carl Weathers and Bill Duke are just below Arnold in the pecking order. And they both survive well past the one hour point in this movie. So the idea of like, oh, the black character always dies first. It's like, no, that doesn't happen here. And not only does it, do they survive longer than just about anybody else, but like their deaths actually have a lot more impact than anyone else's in the movie. Sonny Landon, who plays Billy, you know, is someone that comes from like, uh, I believe Cherokee and Seminole roots. It's not like creep show two, which came out the same year. And you had like Holt McCowney, uh, who (laughs) I did not know that that was the same dude. Who's like in Mindhunter, Hunter, like the Mm -hmm. square jawed flat top Johnny Unitas type. Like, Holy shit. That's the same guy. Like that is, fucking bananas to me yeah none of the characters are defined by their race 
mm-hmm. maybe Billy a little bit because you have the idea of like tracking and being in one with the land. But even then, he's still really well respected. Well, they never mm-hmm. talk about it. Like they're never like, oh, he's, you know, like, like they never he's... actually make a point to point out mm-hmm. like, oh, he's Cherokee. Right. That's how he right. does yeah. it's just He's just that's a just, tracker. Yeah. That's who he, how he contributes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that's why moments like. You could look at like Jesse Ventura's Blaine spitting tobacco juice on Carl Weathers' boot, and you're like, ooh, is that a racial thing? And then you see the relationship with him and Mac, and you're like, nope, that's basically Blaine getting back at his superior in like the only way that he could in that moment. Um, and I just think that like there are points where if you like write the best characters you can and find the best performers to play them then you will have like a much better movie like one that can include like broad representation that feels much fuller and richer because of it i don't feel like i watch a movie like wrong turn 2021 which again decent movie but i feel like there's more pandering that's going on there and i feel like a lot of that when i watch modern movies it feels like there's a lot of pandering and not a lot of character Mm -hmm. development Right. Yeah. They, they, it's like, I listen to this podcast sometimes, um, two dope Queens and I don't even think they're still making episodes, but they talked as two, two black women about the kind of roles they would mm-hmm. get offered a lot, you know, or what that they would find in auditions, you know, where it's like, they're the best friend or they, you know, mm-hmm. do something like this where they, like okay? they're almost playing a type yeah. and they're just like waiting at home for their white best friend to come home and tell them all about, uh, what happened. And, and I think that, um, yeah, people, a lot of people, and I'm not even going to like narrow or like, you know, point to one movie or some, you know, director or something and say they do this. I do think it's just a general trend to say like, we'll throw uh, an actor in there, to, like you said, who's like the, the gay one, you know, but they're they're not really taking the time to give them depth. So mm-hmm. it's like, that's still not a good acting role for someone right. to enjoy, for an actor to enjoy playing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I was listening to the You Must Remember This series about Song of the South, and they actually have mm-hmm. quite a bit. Um, she goes into representation in Hollywood, especially around the time period of like Gone with the Wind. And there was this backlash um, of being told that you have to, you can't cast stereotypes. So they just stopped casting people of color because they didn't know how to do it. They didn't take the time to learn how to cast people with respectful representation and that's what I think you get when you don't take the time to actually write well-developed characters like you were saying Mike is you end up with these caricatures that check every box but don't actually mean anything and that is you know I I don't want to say that is more harmful because I mean you are still giving a job to a person who might Mm -hmm. not have had one and that is how we make progress but the next step is to write roles that actually mean something and make diverse characters actually human beings in the stories too. Right. And this movie does that, I think. Yeah. And so. it's just, it's a, it's like the really good movies are still going to be rare. The really good media is still going to be, um, you know, on the rare side compared to the amount of shit that's produced and absolute right. garbage, you know? Yeah. But I do think that like, yeah, having those conversations and saying like, why is, why does this feel inauthentic and this yes. feels really natural? Like, well, I think that's an important conversation. Right. To have. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the score. And I know, Rachel, you have, as a, I f- 
look at you as kind of like a movie score expert, I think. But I, I was so excited to talk about this because I wanted to ask, is the the plaintive trumpet that plays, I feel like it's kind of like Max theme in a lot of ways. Is that original to this movie? Because I feel like I've heard it before. Do well, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't actually done a lot. Of, I always thought it was maybe like a call to like a military song. Yeah, it feels like like a version of Taps or like a variation yeah. of that kind of thing. Yeah, I, as far as I know, it's all original, but I think that's kind of like what it's supposed to call to. Mm-hmm. And I mean, okay, so... Maybe yeah. that it was just used in the West Wing, then maybe that's where I heard it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, Alan Silvestri's score, it's, I think it's one of, I mean, there's a lot of contributing factors to why this movie has become a classic and is one of the best action films of all time. But just like Terminator 2, it's <laughs> got a great score. And I mm-hmm. think that the way that it's executed and that the decision to hire Alan Silvestri in the first place was a really smart move. Mm-hmm. I believe that they were trying to go with Jerry Goldsmith, no, you know, for obvious reasons, but he was busy <laughs> also, mm-hmm. you know, not surprising at this time. <laughs> but, you know, Alan Silvestri was coming off you know, a definite hot streak. He had just done Back to the Future, but he also had made, you know, a career of doing all sorts of genres. And I think that that's really important for a film like Predator that's got sci-fi elements, it's got horror elements, it's got action elements, it's got, dare I say, drama elements. Like, it's mm-hmm. got all these things. And so it was. it would take a composer to really understand that, to mm-hmm. sell all of these individual elements. Mm-hmm. And I think what how it works is so okay you've got dutch's theme which is that Mm -hmm. really kind of persistent militaristic theme which really embodies him and his company and his you know regimented military background and it's tapping into all of these kind of cultural touchstones that we have when we think of the military and we think of Mm -hmm. music like you hear those drums and it, it fits But then on the other side of it, you've got sort of the jungles theme and predators theme, which is kind of just like this undulating swirl of kind of primal drums. And what I love Mm -hmm. about that is actually, okay, so I heard somebody talk about predator and say that it's like a slasher where all the victims are jocks. And that made me laugh. (laughs) Totally. Uh Like, oh, it is. But what I think is so smart is the way that those those bongo drums are used just like you would see in Halloween or Friday the mm-hmm. 13th or films like Deep Red or even Peeping Tom where you you hear it and you know that the predator's there but you can't mm. see it and mm-hmm. like yes we get glimpses of you know his like thermal x-ray or like the the weird effect that's like a little glimmery or whatever but it's really those drums that we see like tipping off like Billy's just staring into the jungle like how do we know the predator's there because we can hear him we can hear him mm-hmm. watching and it's lingering over the music and so and you see that build and as the predator beca- gets you know more involved with these characters their the music and the themes combine into one and it's such mm-hmm. just a beautiful way of doing it but I just the way the Silvestri like He's using these similar reoccurring themes and ideas, but it's never presented exactly the same way. And I think that that's just, I mean, it just shows his skill as a composer. Mm -hmm. Like you get these, it's similar, but it's executed differently every time. Yeah. And I just, yeah, it's, it's just such a great score. And even if you listen to it, like on its own, it's super fun. 
and mm-hmm. you hear those, you know, you hear those dun 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 dun. dun it's like, oh, it's predator. Yeah. You, you immediately know what it is, and that's just you know the key and the sign of an iconic film score is yeah. you know you hear it and even if you don't know the movie like you recognize it so mm-hmm. or like you know you sense like that's danger you know or like that's like I should be alert here you know and it's like progressing the story through music which I think is really fascinating when somebody can do that effectively and it would have been so easy to make like a a stereotypical quote unquote exotic jungle sound like jungle mm-hmm. theme and I love that he doesn't take the temptation to do that you know because that would have felt really reductive in a lot of ways and that's another thing that I think is really presented well is like Anna never feels like like a stereotypical like local you know it's Mm -hmm. you know I feel like there is just as much respect for the jungle as there is for the team you know it's like they are evenly matched you know and, and even in the quieter moments, like you get some really beautiful, like heartbreaking songs. Like, we, you know, we're talking about like Mac and these like really emotional mm-hmm. moments where he's like mourning his friend. And like, there's some mm-hmm. really beautiful pieces of music there that accompany that. And you, I mean, you don't hear music like that in action scores. Like so much right. of the time, it's just like wall to wall music where mm-hmm. the score is yes. not allowed to breathe and really like just like settle in those moments. Mm-hmm. And it's such a beautiful thing to see not only a composer embrace that, but to like have, you know, the creative team behind the movie also allow that and give it the space that it needs as well. Because yeah. those quieter, more subtle moments are, you know, just as powerful as, you know, the end where everything is just combining into one cacophony of amazing, beautiful action score. <laughs> right. Well, for such a visual movie, you have to have that, you know, like there are long stretches where nobody says anything, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of what you said earlier about sticking to a vision. This is that rare collaboration with, you know, because any any film and what I love most about film is the collaborative element of it. Like you can take if you take out one piece of the team, whether it's the composer, the director, the special effects artist, whoever the whole thing might fall apart, you know, and this is mm-hmm. that rare, like symphony of everything coming together. And if you, but if you examine any of the individual elements, like the score, everything is worthy of itself. You know, the score yeah. is elevated in the way that the film is elevated. It's appropriate for the genre that it's in or the genres, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's like fucking good. Like, and mm-hmm. I, I just love that. Like, it's such a delight, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and speaking of teams too like I just want to give a shout because I feel like that's something that we've started to do shouting out effective teams on screen you know where there is not a weak link in this team and I just love that I feel like in later films even in this own franchise there would be an element of betrayal or sabotage and I know we Mm -hmm. talked about that with Dylan but that's before all the shit really goes down you know and I just love well he's not really a member of their team right Right, exactly he's He's kind of an outsider which is I think what feeds a lot of that insecurity you were talking talking about earlier but yeah I just love like uh, like I keep thinking about Lawrence Fishburne and Event Horizon when we're talking about them too it's just I love a team that works well together you know Mm -hmm. it makes you care about them more and and Dylan falls in the line like eventually Mm -hmm. when Dylan realizes like the great is bigger than they are he falls in the line like you see him like go to back up Mac and he doesn't run you know he doesn't run away in terror I will say, like, one visual flaw in the movie. Like, we see 
one of the greatest like exploding head sequences, this side of maniac. And then yeah. the next shot is like his head is fully. Totally. I was and I'm just like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that was a little that there? that did confuse me. As much as I love both the exploding head scene and that slow zoom on his face, I find like mm-hmm. just completely terrifying. Like mm-hmm. I, I think that's one of the most scary shots in the movie, but I agree. It's a huge, huge continuity. It's <laughs> almost like they saw it, they're like, well, they're both great. I don't know. Just keep them in. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Who cares? You know? Well, and speaking of um, amazing visual effects, can we, I would be remiss if I didn't mention muddy Arnie. Cause he's just mm-hmm. so hot. It's like, Oh my god! No, he's gosh. so cold. He's so cold. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the irony <laughs> um yeah this it's just like like this primal like just gorgeous it's it's almost transcends hotness to me you know because it just is so, he is just such a beautiful specimen of muscle muscle and I'm trying not to like die while I'm talking about this but it's <laughs> I just love it I love Muddy Arnie and I love like we were talking about that the elements are what like makes him like he becomes one with the jungle love it that visual of him in the tree roots covered in mud is like you could just like that's a photograph like that's a painting mm-hmm. you know uh-huh. like that, it's so like it's the, it expresses the themes of the film through this visual that is and it looks fucking awesome like it's great i just love when characters are allowed to be ugly like yeah he's, mm-hmm. like it's like a moment where it's like he doesn't care what he looks like Right. Like he's yeah. like it's just survival mode at this point. Not saying that he did care before, but you know, his constant, you know, s- you know, subconscious flexing would, you know, argue the point, but it's like it when he's just covered in that it's <laughs> there's no way to pretend like, oh yeah, I look great right now. So right. it's it's just kind of refreshing any time in a movie when a character is allowed to just be just disgusting and ugly for a minute. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And and like the eye acting that he does in that moment too, where it's like all you can see are his open eyes, and you know exactly how he's feeling. And I feel like for a character like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I don't think is ever going to win like an acting award. You know, even though I do think he like he's not known for his acting, but I think in this like that shows just that scene that he's really conveying what he's feeling just with his eyes, and I think that's impressive and also mm-hmm. very dreamy. So. You it know. speaks to the director and the and, and again collaborative like yeah. you know when he is being directed by in lesser films like he has certain tendencies that come to the front. <laughs> yep. they're not gone in this movie, but the the more the more uh, effective ones are what shine through. Yeah, there's just more. So, I think what's interesting about Arnold is he had a lane, and I'm not saying that he won 100 percent stuck to that lane, but he knew the projects that would serve him really well. Mm-hmm. He knew what audiences like wanted from him and he was really good about delivering it. And a lot of his best roles are delivered with a really healthy wink to the uh-huh. audience saying like, look, I'm in on the joke too. At the same time, he would pursue roles like there's a really good like history behind uh, Total Recall and the links that he went to to get that thing delivered to the big screen like he saw that and he was like this is the perfect vehicle for me mm-hmm. to go to the next level and as big of a hit as predator was like total recall was like on a whole other level mm-hmm. it, i'm just again this article like the oral history of predator they talk about like one thing about and this is where again the comparison to the rock is very appropriate the rock is very 
business savvy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger is very business savvy, and they talk about Arnold under like going and having a fun time on the set and like working out with the guys and like playing pranks on Carl Weathers. Like Carl Weathers is chatting up a couple women, and like Arnold shows up in a speed of going, "Hey, Carl, your wife is on the phone." Just <laughs> things like that to like <laughs> right, but also saying, like, "Okay." camera's rolling now we're here to work Mm -hmm. and he had that knack for like what role is going to take me one step further and that's why he became for a period of time like the biggest star in the world Mm -hmm. well look kindergarten cop is a fantastic movie like i unabashedly (laughs) love that movie (laughs) it's been far too long true i was just gonna say yeah Yeah. true lies like we were talking about like that that perfect mix of all of the things he's known for and i think Mm -hmm. true lies is that in a lot of ways too you know like he has that that twinkle in his eye throughout predator and throughout true lies and he Mm-hmm. He kind of loses it appropriately to be the Terminator, which I love. Um, but yeah, he mm-hmm. just, I think you're right. He knows who he is. He knows what his strengths are. And he's not afraid, yeah. like, to take on a role like Kindergarten Cop, you know? And, you know, as a former mm-hmm. teacher, like, I love that. I love seeing a man kind of understanding the nuances of this role and seeing him face off right. with this, like, diminutive little principal who's just, like, owning him. You know, it's, I just love that right. movie. So. I can't even tell you how many times I've heard my dad say it's not a Tuma. Like, I know. And talk about a fantastic score. Like the music of Kindergarten Cop is fantastic too. Right. Oh. But that twins mm-hmm. Kindergarten Cop jingle all the way. They play so much against type, mm-hmm. like what you expect from him in a way that like really, really works. He was able to kind of make that transition to do comedy yeah um i think at some point like action movies changed Mm -hmm. and it became like very difficult for you know obviously he got into politics and was like a a long-term governor of long time like a two-term governor for california and by the time he was able to kind of get out and do action movies again a he had aged and b like movies have changed yeah Uh, we talked about like the body types in this movie now when you think of like physical transformations for roles you think of like chris evans mm-hmm. uh you think of like chris pratt chris Hem- the chris is right i mean you look at like i know chris pratt is like ooh, but you look at him as like andy dwyer and he's kind of he's handsome mm-hmm. but little doughy and then you see him in jurassic world and you're like whoa what yeah how you know what is your human growth hormone i do miss do- i miss the doughy or doughy that was one I feel like he was I nicer. Think we all miss just doughy like, yeah. yeah it's just like yeah. laura said like he got the money and social media and that's what ruined him and jesus <laughs> like well, and- just kept his mouth shut yeah exactly i would have died happy not knowing any of these things about him <laughs> like, i know I need to know that it's about like when you. tom tom cruise changed publicists mm-hmm. you know and it's like suddenly yeah. we know everybody isn't chris pratt married to schwarzenegger's daughter he is yeah, yeah. just to cut, so. tie this up in a little that yeah. was that, post, that yeah. post that went viral about like my wife right. will do anything for me and i suck thing oh and god yeah. Like, I, yeah i talked i talked to Corey a long yeah. time about that i was like this is why i hate this so he had to absorb <laughs> so my rage. upsetting but i will say i would say his, his son are we gonna say his son <laughs> yeah his son i've Jinx, been very impressed with him not but be- not only because he is very attractive but like he was great in um daniel isn't real daniel isn't he real. was great in moxie and i think i saw him in something else too that i really enjoyed 
So yeah, I'm and he's going to be Patrick yeah. Bateman, I think, in the new American Psycho, um, oh, wow. whatever that is. So I'm interested to see that because. I don't know. He's got the chiseled jaw for mm-hmm. it, um, for sure. But I saw him in this Predator, in Predator when I was watching it. I was like, because I, mm. I think I was thinking, oh, he just looks a little thinner than Arnie, you know? But as I was watching it this time, I was like, nope, there he is. But like we yeah. were saying, like, action movies change. Like, how do you top the Terminator? You know, he is essentially playing the epitome of an action star, mm-hmm. you know? Right. So. Um, do we want to do, uh, we had kind of kicked around off, off, uh, Mike doing a little fuck, Mary kill, uh, yes. for the, Wait, don't for... <laughs> blame me for this. Thanks. specifically I wanted to ask everybody. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. For our helicopter full of, uh, gentlemen, shall we, should we go mm-hmm. around real quick? I'll go for, I mean, I, this was my idea. So I'll fall on the sword here by <laughs> kicking this off. I, unfortunately, to my own, you know, to the the stain on my own character, I would fuck uh, Jesse the Body Ventura. Unquestionably, <laughs> he is the one I'm by far the most attracted to in this movie, and that upsets me. It's just something I have to live with and know about myself. Yeah, it's because he doesn't uh, have time to bleed. You know, yeah, he doesn't. He is pro union. <laughs> yeah, that's more than he's you can that. say for all- Iraq. Well, he is. Yeah, um- he wanted to start a union in wrestling and was blackballed. <laughs> Not blackballed, but Hulk Hogan ratted him out. Uh- yeah, Buckle he was another one who had some like politics turn, and I don't even I can't even he's keep the details straight to be honest. Like governor I can't remember Minnesota. if he's good or bad. I don't know anymore. I don't know anything. In I'd rather between. he's got a hat, you know. Yeah, but he's... in this movie specifically, that like kind of like balding tough guy look is just like there's just like with a a, a big meaty man with um still has physical flaws. Like yeah, yeah. Give that to me. <laughs> I gotta, I, there gotta be some flaws there. I can't, can't get, get in there. Um, and then I would marry Mac. I think uh, after all of this, it's, he gives me I can fix him vibes. So I feel <laughs> like I need to, to hold his hand and mm-hmm. and take him home. And um, oh God, kill, kill. Who would I kill? I guess I'd have to kill Carl Weathers, as, but not Carl <laughs> Weathers as a person. Dylan as a character, but <laughs> he kills himself, so it sort of does it does it for me. He sacrifices mm-hmm. himself ultimately, but that's I think that's what I'm going to have to live with, and I'm not happy about it. <laughs> nice, at least you're honest. Mm-hmm. Th- yeah. So I think okay, starting with fuck, I think if I got to be honest, I'm going to go with Billy. Mm. Yep. I don't know. It's just. He's that, hot too. That strong, mm. silent type, I guess. I don't. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, when yeah. he takes the knife on his chest, yeah, I was like, ooh. Yeah. He'd be very mm. attuned to your needs too. You know? I feel like, <laughs> yeah, I'd be curious what's going on there. And then, you know, with Mary, it would have to be Dutch. Mm. You know, I just yeah feel like he would be, you know, he hold it down career wise, but also like be there to take your kids to baseball i guess i don't know yeah teach kids and look good look good while doing it yeah <laughs> right <laughs> and then as far as kill i think it would be hawkins shane black's character because oh you're right no i take it back i'll kill him too his is jokes he... like, oh he's so the glasses dude yeah. yeah i just i hate his jokes he's the big procedure i yeah. like he i mean there's part of me that's like oh that's sweet he's just trying to make billy laugh but at the same time it's like i just don't like yeah like yeah. that's his way of feeling macho. Like I, I have mm-hmm. no other traits, so I'm just gonna tell inappropriate jokes. <laughs> like no, yeah. not a fan. And they're, they're all vagina related. Like he uh-huh. just he's like he's like this is my thing, and I'm sticking to it. 
Uh, mm. You know, I, I take it back. I'll kill him as well. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm going to echo Rachel exactly. Like, I would marry, I don't know. Would I want to marry Billy? I, I, it would be a really hard decision between marrying Billy and marrying Dutch and fucking Billy and fucking Dutch. Like, I think I could Why see. Why not just have a throuple? I mean, mm. well. Mm. Yep. <laughs> Loophole. <laughs> and then I'm going to kill glasses because, uh, come on, dude. You know. All right. So I'm going to echo Lara in that I'm going to fuck Blaine. Yeah. Mm. Hell yeah. Because he's a sexual tyrannosaurus. <laughs> I mean, we just want to find out what I'm that just means. Curious. I, totally. I just have just to find purely research, he has like little, okay? <laughs> little arms and can't yeah, jack you off. Just... Like, I don't know. <laughs> Big mouth, no, no arms. No. <laughs> I think I'm going to marry Hawkins because I think like our inappropriate (laughs) sense of humor. Good God, man. You have no idea how much I censor myself on this. Do you want to make big pussy jokes? Mike, is that what you desire? Do I want to? I mean, do I not make inappropriate jokes at any? Yeah, I, you know, I would say that I could change him. I think I could change him. Okay, it's an I can change him. Like Like all of us have said, I can real him in because he just wants he's like fozzy bear he wants to make people laugh yep. except instead of waka waka jokes he talks about the size of vaginas yeah. um waka-waka. i do think like the i don't know like the in a different context the echo joke is really fucking funny like in a different if it was a butthole if it was somebody's big butthole yeah. <laughs> right or if it was like rewrite one of these jokes you know yeah. like right. i'll I mean, forgive I'm one look right Look, we all laughed at the Paps Blue Ribbon eating ass tweet. We're not above ribald humor. No, asses are okay. Everybody has a bubble. Yeah, that's a terrible opportunity. Joke hole. Everybody, true. (laughs) So who would I kill at that point? I'm probably going to have to kill Dylan. Because I just feel Mm -hmm. he's too... He's not pulling his weight. You know? I mean, the... Like he's really bossy. He betrayed. And he's not them. pulling he, his way. Like got them yeah, there under yeah. false pretenses. I'm yeah. still bitter. I do. <laughs> I know. Plus he's been pencil- I do love... too many pencils. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you gotta go. Have you whoop, been, yeah. whoop, this me I do like when it's like, why didn't you take the jo- extraction, Jay? like because we are. We, we are what are we we're a rescue team not assassins yeah. and then they go in and they immediately like obliterate 40 men <laughs> right. like oh yeah Kaploom. total like i absolutely love how they throw like oh yeah they're not assassins mm-hmm. they will just like put like you swiss cheese holes in everything that moves he's like but that's not the goal oh, dude it's that 80s style of action where just shooting a bullet yeah. causes the thing to explode yeah i just yes. love <laughs> Oh, I love it too. I love all those and everybody, techniques. All the bad guys have the same aim as like the stormtroopers mm-hmm. in Star Wars, <laughs> which is totally also wonderful. So that's my Mary Fuck Kill, right? Well, now. thank nice. you for coming with, uh, uh, on this journey with me, all of you. And it's going to keep happening. It, yeah. So let us know. Listeners, should we keep this? Yeah, keep, like, we this is are... a permanent I mean, segment. Yeah, yeah, we have, we, we do have a tendency to have some thirsty uh, episodes, which, I as think... Mike pointed out before we started recording, not just Thursday episodes. <laughs> Right. Thirsty Thursday. I don't know why we didn't do this for movies like Assassination Nation. You know, (laughs) I wish we'd have started there. But you know, hey, I married them. If we started anywhere else, it would be dead in the water. And you, you and I both know this. So, (laughs) Um. Uh, and now it's time for an uplifting moment. This is where we share any grounding and coping techniques and any self-care that have been particularly effective for us. 
Grounding and coping techniques are the little tips, tricks, mantras, or practices that help us get through the tough days and the tough moments. And self-care is anything that makes us feel good or feel better. And my self-care yesterday, I watched the movie Unstoppable, and I fucking love that movie. It is so good. It's about a train, and I get to say, a missile the size of the Chrysler building. And Corey, like, rolls his eyes every time I say it, but I just love it so much. And I put it on as background as I was working on something and I kept like finding myself putting my computer away. And so finally I just put my computer away. I just laid on the bed and I had so much work to do, but I just watched the rest of this movie. It is so good. It has zero stakes to my life, but it is so fun and tense. And I just, I love it so much. It's got that big cathartic moment at the end. Chris Pine, Chris Pine is hot. It's my favorite Denzel Washington movie. I just, I love it so much. It's, it's about a fast train, so everybody watch Unstoppable. <laughs> and Tony Scott, so it looks great. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's, I mean, it is, it's fantastic. I love it. And it flew under the radar, too. You know, I feel like people don't really talk about it that much. So, you know, watch Unstoppable. I love it. That's my self-care. Yeah, so as we record this episode, we're like a few days into the new year at this point. By the time this episode hits, like most of us are going to be like kicking the crap out of ourselves for not following up on all our resolutions. So like the only kind of resolution I made this year is to kind of remind myself like I'm enough. It's like, yeah, I want to eat healthier and I want to move around more, but mostly because like those are good things to do and they're good for me, not because like I have to look a certain way. Or feel a certain way. So like this is just like for me it's been like reminding myself like oh like I am more than enough right now. Like I'm good as the way I feel like Stuart Smalley <laughs> where I'm good enough and smart enough. <laughs> but mostly this year I just want to be like not fret about the way I look all the time. And it's okay to just be like who I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. I can totally piggyback off that because I feel like you know, I, I hate the, the flip of the year, but because mm-hmm. it's it's just a date, but at the same time, like it is a good opportunity to kind of reevaluate. And I, I kind of needed that because by the end of this year, I was I was done <laughs> with everything. Mm-hmm. I was done with work, done with everything that previously I was like, oh, yeah, this is my passion. But now by, you know, December 27th, I'm like, I hate it all. Yeah. <laughs> but so I think really like it sounds really simple, but as far as like my uplifting moment goes, for me, it was just the realization that like, I'm going to say no to certain things and be okay with that and not beat myself up for it. Sometimes it feels mm-hmm. like, especially as like somebody who like freelances here and there, it gets really, it's not competitive necessarily, but I don't know, I constantly feel like, oh, if I could just live up to my potential, like I know I could do this, this and this and this, but then it absolutely just drains me and steals that passion, which sucks. Mm-hmm. So totally. I'm just moving into this new year with being able to like say no and step back a little bit and be okay with that. And just, I don't know, acknowledging that and confronting Mm -hmm. that about myself and being like, I'm okay with that. Like that feels like such a weight lifted off my shoulders, which is also really funny because it's like, well, who put that weight there? It's like, well, I did. Totally. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. nobody else put it there. But then again, nobody else could really take it off me either. Mm-hmm. So that's been really helpful. And then we had just adopted a new dog in October. Uh, his name's Rambo because, yes, I love Stallone <laughs> as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, And just like having him around 
like I've never had an actual certified therapy dog, but I've, you know, dogs have always been in my life and just having him like is such a joy and mm-hmm. being able to walk him every day, um, you know, gets me out of the house and I can listen to audiobooks and just having the, that, that moment of time has been just, just the best. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Animals are great. <laughs> they are. They are. Yeah. My dog is the absolute joy of my life he is my baby seriously and he will never die (laughs) okay i'll stop uh yeah no i i agree with all of this and i think i'm not for years now i haven't done any kind of new year's resolution because i i really don't like putting that pressure on myself i almost always Mm -hmm. fail to live up to things when i sort of codify them in that way and Mm -hmm. uh then I really beat myself up and it just sends me spiraling. So I, but on the flip side this year, I decided, you know, I am going to actually take this time to reflect uh, and and not like post about it, but just actually reflect. I got a stupid little planner that has all these prompts in it. I actually took the time to like fill out the stupid little prompts, <laughs> you know, and, and for the first time in my working career, also, I had the entire week between Christmas and New Year's off. So I actually had this week and the month leading up to it has been just, I was having an awful month for a bunch of reasons I won't go into, but I finally had one week where it was like, uh, I don't have to worry about some looming catastrophe or health problem or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I completely hid in my apartment because I was like, if there's one thing that's not fucking happening this week, I'm not getting fucking COVID. Um, <laughs> so I just hid in my apartment and I really honestly needed just some time to totally shut my brain off. Um, and I think it did. It really helped in doing that. Plus a little bit of journaling, plus some daily walking. Like I need, I didn't realize how much I needed that time. Mm-hmm. And I feel a lot. I It's like, I just feel calmer at this moment in time going into the new year, even though I still have the same amount of work and shit on my plate and a lot of thing, big things that I'm reevaluating in my life. But I, I just feel a little bit calmer. So I am going to mm-hmm. take that as a win and keep taking it one day at a time. And that's all I'm going to say <laughs> for now. Yeah, I've been kind of following moon cycles and I just got a book about the moon and that's kind of going into some of my witch stuff that I've talked about earlier, but like thinking about it as more like a a shorter cycle than like a new year resolution that I'm going to try to keep for an entire year. It's like, okay, I can just try this for January or just for this moon lunar cycle and see how it goes and then change it up. And I actually haven't started any of my resolutions yet. I keep thinking, nope, not ready yet. Nope, maybe the next, maybe next Monday. So you know, we're all humans and we're all allowed to do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> um, <laughs> calendar be damned. Well, we want to hear from you. Are you invisible? Have you ever shaved with your own sweat? And what's the weirdest thing you've ever done while covered in mud? <laughs> um, <laughs> we're not sure how much of that. Yeah. <laughs> we want to hear. Um, I know. Yeah. I mean, I guess use your discretion when answering these questions. Maybe you just write in your journal about some of these answers mm-hmm. um, or just what's on your mind. And you can answer these questions and more by following us on socials at Psycho Apod. Or you can join our Facebook group, the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group, which is a private and moderated space to share about the things we talk about on the episodes or anything else that might be on your mind. And you can email us at psychoapod at gmail.com if you want to share privately. 
And if you have a spare moment, please, please, please leave us a rate and review on Apple iTunes. It really helps other people find the pod and it makes us feel good. And thank you to those who have already left us reviews. Really means a lot to us. And apparently you can now review on Spotify. I heard about that, which just gives me more anxiety. But I haven't seen it. I know. I haven't seen it appear. I don't know how to do. I think you can only leave a star rating. Uh, oh, okay. Well, only a five star rating. Is yeah, that that's like you can only stars. people. You heard it here first. You can only leave yep. five star ratings on Spotify. <laughs> yep, that's it's. Oh, we don't make the rules, you know. Um, <laughs> and so our homework question for this week is: What is your favorite Arnie movie, and why is it Terminator Two? Because Terminator Two is the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> Sorry, that's I'm not biased at all, but yeah. So why is your favorite? What is your favorite Arnie movie? I love him. Um, so speaking of other movies, what are we watching next? Well, we are continuing our January theme of addiction with a movie that I absolutely love. We are going to be watching the director's cut of Dr. Sleep. And we talked about this in our, our episode on the addiction, but I do think that the director's cut is has some significant differences. If you just watch the regular theatrical cut, that's fine. But we're going to be talking specifically about the director's cut of Dr. Sleep. So Ewan McGregor. Woo. And if that's not enough of us, Mike, what is going on in the world of Patreon? Yeah, we have like a ton going on for the patrons right now. So first, we just had a a few people join up with us recently, which is great. Uh, Let's first say thank you and welcome uh, Andrew Lassane who was our guest on the Bride of Chucky episode. He is signed on at the Mads Mikkelsen as Hannibal Lecter level, which is the $10 tier. Also, welcome aboard Marvin, who also signed up at the Hannibal Lecter level. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen is Hannibal Lecter. So thank you, Marvin, for becoming a patron. Also, let's welcome aboard Jennifer, or Jen, who... (gasps) Again, mm-hmm. also, yes, you like the show <laughs> so much that you're different, Jen. She also pledged at the Mads level as well, which we really do appreciate. On top hey, Jen, of, love that name. Yes. <laughs> on top of like the three new patrons, we had two persons sign on for like the one time only payment of $50, which allows them to pick the movie and topic and or topic of their choice. And they get to join us for one of the sections of the show to talk about why they chose it. So thank you to Lindsay, who is already was already a patron. Like she upped her pledge for one month to 50 bucks. And we have a she actually picked a great movie and topic. So we're looking forward to doing that later this year, as well as Andrew F., who signed on with us at the end of the year and started out by pledging to that tier. So it's kind of neat. It's kind of amazing to us. Like we thought we would get maybe like two or three people to sign on at that level. And it seems like every month, at least one or two people are. So we're trying to do everything we can to like make those a priority. Um, So on that note, if you're like, I know I want you to cover this movie, but I'm not sure about a topic. We will either a work with you or B, we can do it as a comfort horror episode like this is Mm -hmm. right now. So that way that might help us get through some of these quicker so you're not waiting for a super long time so if you like what we do like all of our tiers you get bonus content we're going to be recording some stuff next week i think to go on the patron uh tier um but if you like what us do and you want more of our bullshit hop on over to like patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast 
Um, again, all of the tiers include some level of bonus content. And honestly, like it's where you hear us at our kookiest. Like I am going to pitch to Jen and Lara later. We just basically do a bonus episode that is just Mary fuck kill with characters from horror movies. Cause <laughs> I, honestly, I think that we would, we would, we would talk for so long. We have so much. To we would have now. to maybe pick 10, narrow it down. And then <laughs> we maybe divide it into two months worth of episodes. But I think, I mean, I think we could do that or as a recurring theme, uh, but I think we could do like exclusively do 10 movies. We've already done. Yeah. We can do ones we've we already done uh, or we wish we'd done MFK. Yeah. Done. Yeah. You know, because I would, you know, who you people want to hear my thoughts on Scream and who I would. Faculty. What's that? Josh Hartnett. Everything would be like, you're just going to, in every single one of them, I would marry and fuck Josh Hartnett, even if he's not in the movie. (laughs) You know, just throwing that out there for Josh Hartnett. I think he's in one of the background scenes, you know. So if you like where we're at right now, like this is basically our whole discussion on Patreon. (laughs) Like we don't we you know are very non-serious usually when we do and i think we need to do a cobra kai episode on patreon oh yeah totally yeah i think mike roffman said he'd stop by for that too yeah excellent so let's wrap up uh with some plugs rachel where can we find you online and do you have any exciting interviews lined up um you know it's funny and it's actually perfect at the same time it's like there's this really glorious time between like December 23rd and now where not a whole lot's happening it's like everybody mm-hmm. takes some time off which is perfect because my whole uplifting moment and goal is to kind of like <laughs> slow down a little bit so it's really nice uh-huh. to be able to slow down basically because the emails aren't coming right now so mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't have anything lined up but I'm sure I will at some point and mm-hmm. the wheels will start turning again but I can be found at um on Instagram and Twitter at Vinyl Girl, G-R-R-R-L. Um, and I will have my, I have a reoccurring column over at Dread Central every month called Terror on the Turntable, where I talk about horror scores and just gush about why they're great. And so for this next month in January, uh, I'll be talking about John Harrison's Day of the Dead. Nice. Ooh, fun. And we are going to be on some Losers Club episodes together coming up soon, too. I know. Losers Club has a lot of really cool stuff coming up. So I can't wait to, for all of us to chime in on those because yeah, it'll, be, it'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited about that. Um, lots of it happening this week, too. So I'm like, oh, shit, I got to start reading. And Mike, where can we find you? So you can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian over on Twitter. And you can also find me on things like Letterboxd at Mike Chump Change. You can find my other show, The Pod and the Pendulum, where we discuss horror movie franchises everywhere you get podcasts. You go to podandthependulum.com and it'll take you to wherever your favorite podcatcher is. And on that note, we have, by the time this is out, two episodes on the first Scream that are up ahead of Scream 5, which we'll be covering before we move on to Child's Play for the next few months. So pretty exciting stuff. And Rachel is going to be joining us more often on that show, which I'm really excited Yay. for. We've got a cool little Me team too. that we're building. I know she'll be on some of the child's play episodes. So yeah, there you go. That's awesome. Laura, where can we find you? Well, let me summon up some creativity here. Uh, you can <laughs> find me on Twitter at underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S. Much like the very very, very 
very sweaty and filthy, I'm assuming boxer briefs that you're wearing under your fatigues in the in the Central American jungle. <laughs> That's a good uh, question. Yeah, I, yeah no, I know. That could be a whole other rabbit hole. <laughs> Oh Patreon boy. episode. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> at Underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S on Twitter. And otherwise, I'm occasionally on the Losers Club and Halloweenies podcast as well. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me at Jim Ferratu on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me uh, co-hosting the Losers Club podcast and Yes, we do have lots of fun stuff coming up, some of it involving lawnmowers this month and a plant <laughs> that I'm just one of the few that I haven't read yet. So, um, yeah, just lots of fun stuff. And Losers Club recently announced the reading list for the year. I think we're actually going to finish the Dark Tower series this year. So lots of fun stuff coming up. So make sure to check that out. Also, you can also find me writing in various places. And I'm working on a new column, which I'm Ooh. super excited about. So stay tuned for that. And um, yeah, so that's me. And that's our episode on Predator. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. It was so great to talk to you. And it was just fantastic to watch this movie and just geek out. Oh, so. thank you guys. Anytime I can, I will <laughs> gladly talk about sweaty Arnie anytime. <laughs> oh, me too. Um, listeners, thank you so much for spending time with us. Please make sure to take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And with that, let's sign off. We came here to chew bubble gum and take care of ourselves. And we're, and we're all out of bubble gum. Bubble gum. That was one of our better ones. I know. We're getting there. Good to the job. <laughs> we have a bunch of tobacco chaw. That was my spit. Song. <laughs> <laughs>